In today's show, we're looking back at the season 2022-2023 for our Orlando Magic. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Just a little bit of news before we get into the Orlando Magic. Ime Yudoka has been hired to be the Rockets head coach after they fired Steven Silas. The whole Yudoka thing remains a complete, not, not a complete mystery, but definitely one with lots of unanswered questions. All right, he was suspended for a year. Okay. Any details on anything that was going on? No. Now, a team that's had plenty of weird situations with the locker room and the coach and every player leaving there, apparently just talking about the dysfunction in that locker room. And then the GM sitting in on coaching meetings and making decisions, hires another controversial figure in Imo Yudoka. I'm not saying that Yudoka is a bad coach. I thought Yudoka struggled a lot as a coach at the start of last season and then was awesome down the stretch. He's had one year as a head coach. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this from the Rockets' point of view. I would have, and maybe they did. I would have prioritized going after Nick Nurse over Yudoka. Um, but that's the direction they went. But the other thing this indicates to me with Houston is going for Yudoka is a situation where they're not, where they're not going to be a bottom three team because that's not that Yudoka lifts them from that. I think Silas held them back, but I don't think Yudoka lifts them. It's more that they will be changing their philosophy, further strengthening, I think, some of the James Harden um, to the Rockets talk or looking to make a splash or trade players or do whatever they need to do to push forward now. That's, I think, more what that indicates to me. So we'll see. We'll see if that's actually true or not. But it is an interesting development, and obviously there's going to be more coaches fired, I think, maybe, and others need to be hired still in other situations. A quick recap on where we are with the playoffs as well. Um, at the moment, you've got the Heat and the Bucks series, which has been pretty strange. Obviously, Giannis missing all that time. He's back for game four. The Heat are up 2-1 uh, in that series. I think the Bucks are still going to win that. I think the Lakers, who are 2-1 up over the Grizzlies, they play again later today. I think the Lakers, uh, Lakers might might be in control here. The lack of big men, I did pick the Grizzlies, but the lack of big men worried me for Memphis. And yeah, they're just, uh, they're struggling a lot at the moment. Uh, Boston should wrap it up against Atlanta. They're 3-1 up. Denver could have swept Minnesota, but big performance from uh, from Edwards there. So they're up 3-1. I don't think they'll have any problem closing that out. Nor do I think Phoenix will have any problems closing out the Clippers. They're 3-1 up. No Kawhi again. Well, actually, Kawhi's questionable, I believe, for that game. And you've got to have some real worries about what the hell is going on with his knee. When he did tear his ACL, whatever it was, two playoffs ago. We never got a diagnosis straight away. We just never heard anything. We just heard, oh, it's a knee sprain. 
And then it was weeks later, it was like, yeah, actually ACL tear. Now they have, the report came out saying, this is not related to his prior ACL, but that doesn't mean there's not a significant injury here. I don't know. I don't, I don't know any of that. But what I do know is that last time he tore the ACL, they didn't say torn ACL straight away. And this time they're being like weird about what's actually going on. Real concerning stuff. The Knicks three went up over the Cavs. That is very, very good from the Knicks. Really disappointing from the Cavs. And I think there is obviously that issue we had with who the hell is that other guy, Okoro, Levert, Stevens, Wade. They're trying to figure it out all season. Never figured it out. The answer's not there. The coach, I think, also struggles somewhat. Um, not looking good for Cleveland. And then you go to Sacramento Warriors. I just don't know what to make of this series. I picked the Warriors in six. It didn't look good after the first two games. It looks a lot better now. Sabonis struggling a little bit over the last two games. We will see um, what happens. And part of my issue with the Sabonis-Halliburton trade back in, in when it happened and why I thought it was a, a bad move from the Kings, yes, they pushed themselves to the playoffs. My thing was always, hey, I don't think Sabonis is going to be a guy that's a winning player in the playoffs, the defensive staff, and it will, will cause some some concerns. And Halliburton's five, six years younger, under more years of team control, and I think can actually elevate to a higher level. And while it, Sabonis was awesome all regular season and pushed them to this high level, it's the last couple of games have been a little concerning, I would think, for what he's able to do through the rest of this series or next series if they get through. So that's that's probably the most intriguing series going at the moment. Obviously, Philadelphia's through and they uh, get a little bit of extra time to rest uh, Joel Embiid. So that's a just recap on things that are going on around the NBA. Let's, um, before we get into this Orlando Magic stuff, I'll just tell you that today's episode is brought to you by the Game Time app. Playoff game might be going on in your city. You want a last minute ticket? Well, go to Game Time. Because they can give you not only the lowest price guarantees, but so many other features. Flash sales, views from your seat, lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection as well. Easy to find and buy tickets for whatever kind of event in your area, whether it is the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball games, comedy, theater, musicals. Whatever it is, they have got tickets to those events. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Get images of your seat before you buy. They send the tickets, or you get the tickets in a matter of seconds, and they get sent straight to your phone so you don't have to dig through your email. Download the Game Time app, create an account. Use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fangio. Grand slams, no hitters, double plays, they're back. So are the NBA playoffs, by the way. And there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than Fangio, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Go to Fangio.com slash locked on to sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. You can go check out Major League Baseball bets. I couldn't tell you what the odds are on teams. I know that Fernando Tatis is back for the Padres because my son has been telling me counting down until him returning. So I guess the Padres are looking to get on a little bit of a run. But if we look at the Lakers game today, they're four and a half point favorites in LA against the Grizzlies to take a 3-1 lead in the NBA playoffs. Very, very interesting bet there. So don't make your chance. Don't miss your chance to get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. When you join FanDuel today, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. So let's talk magic. Oh, that's the wrong slide. This is the one. Hey, you can tell there we're going to talk Markel Fultz in a second. So we'll get onto that. Just my schedule, my, my flow was thrown off. That doesn't matter. We're back in business now. Um, they finished 34 and 48. Net rating of negative 2.4. That was 24th in the NBA. 
They had the 26th best offense, and I was shocked to see this 11th in defense. 11th. I, I couldn't believe that they were 11th. Jamal Mosley, I think he's an okay coach. Is he the guy to take them to the next level? Probably not. But I think he's an okay coach. And getting this team, this defense to 11th, it's a big part of your know, Suggs and Fultz and Harris and Wagner's defense even, and even the play of Mo Wagner, Wendell Carter. Like, honestly, that's super impressive for them to be that good defensively. Offense obviously needs a work, and, uh, and their lack of shooting is a significant concern. And that's why they need to make some moves, I think, with, with this team to try and uh, shore that up. But they were, despite finishing 34-48, I thought they were really strong after a terrible start to the season. I believe they played 500 ball for the last three months of the year around that mark. Don't quote me exactly, but keep that stretch up and they're a playoff team next season. And I think they will be aiming for that. And I think they've got a chance of getting there. What is very interesting is their best lineup of lineups that played over 100 possessions. Fultz, Suggs, Wagner, Franz Wagner, Bunkero and Carter. Net rating of 18 plus 0.5. That is massive. Now, they didn't play a huge amount of minutes together. And my worry with this lineup was always, is there enough shooting with Fultz and Suggs together? Apparently so. That's an unbelievable net rating. They didn't use this lineup much because I guess part of the shooting issue, but I'd like to see them experiment with it. The, the problem is still the full Suggs combination. Awesome defensively, great game managers, solid passes, shooting horrendous. But that is that lineup that we thought we would get a little bit more of. And when it played, it was awesome, which gives us definite room to think. Free agency, they've got $50 million in cap space. Are they going to be any sort of destination? Probably not. Well, their likely cap space is about $50 million. But look at their... They don't have much in terms of um, players leaving. Mo Wagner is an unrestricted free agent, and he was pretty good. Pretty good. He did lose his spot to restricted free agent Gogo Badadze. Problem with my Gogomobile. Gogomobile? No, not the dark. Not the it helped. Mo Wagner obviously helps that his brother is one of the stars of this team. So yeah, he could bring him back. Like I think you choose one of those guys, Mo or Goga, and they can be the backup center. Best case scenario where your team's getting better, they become a third string center, but they were solid enough. Then you've got Admiral Schofield and Michael Carter-Williams. Um, actually, I've got RFA there. That's not right. They're not RFA. They've got team options. So I apologize for that. They don't, they're not RFAs. There's team options on those guys there for the magic, but you know there is no... I wouldn't have thought there's any rush to bring those guys back. I think one of Wagner and Goga returns. And it is a very, very interesting um, off-season on the horizon for this team. Just with that step forward, they took over the final 50 games or whatever it was. And then the um, and then what we get with this, um, yeah, the upcoming draft picks. They've got some non-guaranteed contracts as well. John Isaac's one of those. Isaac has got two years left but only $7.6 million guaranteed over those two years. So if they wanted, they won't. But if they wanted to, they could cut him and save, you know, they, they could save, what, $12, $13 million this season? On that, um, Gary Harris is non-guaranteed $13 million. They can cut him as well. They could trade him to another team. They'd have to guarantee it's a trade, but look, he could be traded in the offseason. There's Bol Bol, who's got a non-guaranteed $2.2 million contract. That's how you can get some significant cap space on this team if they decide to do that. I don't know that they will, but they've got mechanisms to do that if the opportunities arise. In the draft, they have two lottery picks, pick six, or the lottery odds six, lottery odds 11. The 11 one is the Bulls, but the interesting thing with that one is that if it does jump up in the lottery, they don't get it. The Bulls get it because it's top four protected. So if it does jump up from 11, so the best they can get is pick 11. If it does jump up 
to 11 or from 11, they lose the pick. If anyone in 12, 13, 14 jump ahead of them, the pick goes back. So the best they can get out of that pick is pick 11. Someone brought up an interesting point when I was talking about the Blazers yesterday about lottery odds. So they have the sixth best lottery odds, but they only have an 8.6% chance of getting pick six. They've got a 30% chance of getting pick seven, 21% chance of getting pick eight, and then 9% for pick one, two, three, four, around 9%. So it's almost the least likely spot for them is 10, which is unlikely to get there. Then it's nine, and then it's six, which is where their odds sit. And the, the Blazers one was the guy that one the guy brought up. They've got the fifth best odds. They've got a 2% chance of getting pick five. They're most likely to be pick seven at 27% because of the odds of guys jumping up and all that sort of stuff. So that, that is very interesting to know. But let's just go the lottery odds six based on um, yeah, their likely pick at pick seven. That would, based on my mock draft database, lead them to a Sir Thompson, who would probably compound a lot of issues. A really interesting defensive point guard who can pass, but shooting is a real concern. Like, have you heard that story on this team? Yeah, there's a few of those guys around. So that would be interesting. But Grady Dick would be at 11. And he, as a 40% three-point shooter, would be really intriguing. Really intriguing on this team. Second round, they got pick 36. So is it Jaime Yaquez Jr.? UCLA, a little bit older. A solid enough player. You know, would he be a game changer? Probably not. Probably not. Um... Let's go to question, because this one comes from old mate Zach Hanshaw. You know Zach. From Rotowood, he said, Bunkero had some rookie warts this season and finished way down in per-game rankings. He did. Do you see a vast improvement in year two? What's his ceiling for dynasty managers? Where are you comfortable taking him redraft in 2023, 2024? And he is one of the big things to me, along with like Giannis, when we talk at, look at rankings and we assess whether we have this guy on our team or we made the right call with ranking players or drafting them. Because, yeah, you go and look at a situation, you go and look at, at a pure rank-type scenario and you'll look at, at where he um, he finished, Palo, and you'll be like, well, I wouldn't even draft him in a 16-team league because he was like 214th in 9-cat value. All right, and that is, obviously, a league has 156 players rostered. 212th is nowhere near that. But it's bogus, right? That's, that's, it doesn't, it doesn't tell us a single thing, I don't think. Because Polo is a guy that you know, scored almost 20 points per game, basically right on 20 points per game. He got, you know, almost four assists, seven rebounds. Steals and blocks weren't particularly high, I know this. His efficiency was a problem on high volume. But it is a guy that was almost 60th or 50th, I think, in points leagues numbers. It's a huge, huge difference. But my point of it all here and what Zach is talking about is that he's going to be wildly different in variation. All it takes for him to jump from 212th to 60th is going from 43% to 46% and shooting from 73% to 77%. That's all it takes. Because the volume that he takes these things is so big that if he goes from well below average to average, it's a 100-spot jump immediately. And the turnovers as well, you know that I don't really care about turnovers as a evaluation tool. So I think a vast improvement, yeah, I do. The problem you run into is, is he tall RJ Barrett? Is he a guy that sits and never generates defensive stats? Is a points guy with some rebounds and threes and hurts you in both percentages? And I can't rule that out. He did have some of those concerns coming out of Duke, not to the level that RJ did for sure. And he's already a better shooter than, than, or better scorer than RJ, I think. And I've got more faith in him moving forward. So I'm not, not too out on him. Like I didn't have him number one in my dynasty rookie rankings. I had Chet in that spot. 
I had him second, I think, for rookie in redrafts last season behind Jabari because Chet was out because Jabari does have a slightly better fantasy-friendly game. But for Paolo, it's it's mostly there. It's just, and I'm not going to write him off for a couple of years in those percentages, but that that's really what it is. So vast improvement, I think it can come pretty easily for him. Um, a lot of the building blocks are already there, and it really is just percentages. And for some people, he's already there. You're in a points league, he's already there. He's already great. And you're in a situation where you can punt some of these categories while he's already, he's like a, a bee's dick away from being a really strong impact player. So where would I be comfortable taking him? I've got, there's a lot for me to work out with that still, but I'd have no problem going in the top 100. Honestly, even though we finish outside the top 200, according to your nine count ranks, I don't care. I would be okay taking him in top 100, getting a 20 point per game scorer with seven rebounds, four assists. It's super valuable. And then the other things you sort of have to work around. And I think people know the way that, that I do tend to um, uh, approach that sort of stuff from valuation of players. It's not just pure statistical, this is the ranking, this is where the value lies. I, I don't really buy into that to that degree. Today's episode is also brought to you by Price Picks. New great offer for Price Picks. $1 million daily Superflex promotion. Every day of the NBA playoffs and the finals, one Price Picks user gets a chance to become a millionaire. So you go in every day, any entry pl- placed after 8 a.m. will be randomly selected. And then your entry that you placed, the the value jumps right up. So normally, if you had six correct pick- picks, you would get 25 times your entry fee back. Well, if you're that one person that gets selected and you get six correct picks, you win a million bucks. You win five, get five correct picks, 80,000. Four correct picks, 16,000. Unbelievable. This is just player projections. And you just put different individual player projections together into one entry. Full details can be found at pricepicks.com slash million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. And once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal and you could be the lucky winner. So download the PricePix app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. Actually, go to pricepicks.com slash million to sign up. You can also, if you're a first-time user, get 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PricePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PricePix gives you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. $100. Okay, now a lot of stuff that we talked about there. And now let's get into talking about these players. Markel Fultz, really, really impressed with Fultz this season. Very surprised. A little bit, oh, was I surprised? Yeah, I guess I was a little bit surprised. Now, Fultz was a guy that when we saw um, the beginning of the season, I and I was pretty interested in getting him. Jalen Suggs was out, I think, to start the season. But we thought, we thought Suggs would be the starting point guard. He finished last season on a tear. And I was like, all right, let's go around 100 for him, um, and get involved in that. And then he got injured and broke his toe. Oh, well, okay. The problem with this is he gives opportunities for Anthony and Suggs to establish themselves. Fultz is on the back foot. We don't know when he comes back from this injury. And yeah, I would take him around with that ADP is 143. He blew through that. 71st on a per-game basis, 99th in totals, 88th in points leagues. He was only drafted in 41% of leagues, which is pretty crazy. I would have no problem with picking him last round or second last round. But again, the timing of that injury hurt. I would have I grabbed him a lot in the hundreds, like 100, 101, 94, 106, that sort of area in drafts before the injury. And then this did push him back. But he was one of those guys that started the season hurt who blew through. I thought he was unbelievably impressive. He's not even 25 yet. He did play 26 games, sorry, 60 games, 30 minutes, 21 usage, averaged 14, 4, and 6, 1.5 steals. And for a guy that struggled so much with his shooting, 51% overall. That was an unbelievable um, two-point efficiency. 
The threes, he hit 31%. He just never took them, though, so we can't really judge that. And he's, even his free throws up to 78. Huge steps forward. The advanced stuff didn't love him as much as I thought it would. He was a negative in EPM, still 64th percentile. Darko had him as a negative one. LeBron had him in 24th percentile among starters. And even looking at that graph there on Darko, there were some improvements here as the season went on, but I thought it would have reflected better on him. I was impressed by what he did. But again, part of my problem with this team and looking at their offense, he was great. I think he is their starting point guard. But at some point, the overall lack of shooting is and lack of willingness to take threes is probably going to be a problem when you've got guys who are subpar shooters at the other the other positions, especially the three, four, and five. Not that they're bad, they're subpar, they're below average. And that's going to lead to, I think, somewhat of a problem for him. Um, love what he did, love the improvements. Has he got that improvement to be a high volume, average three-point shooter? That's, I think, some of the concern. I do think he'll be the starting point guard next season. I do think he'll be solidly drafted and ranked around this area, that 80s type of area. But longer term, I'm a little concerned where where the ceiling pushes from here. But I'm not ruling it out because he was so impressive this season. His points numbers, there's nothing hugely interesting in that graph. I thought he was pretty good in his fantasy points numbers. Um, interestingly, he was better in category leagues and points because of the high steals and the high field goal percentage as a point guard, which I think a lot of people worry about Fultz and his efficiency at times. And that was actually one of his strengths this season. His EPM stuff, again, didn't start out well. But look, I think we talked about how it didn't reflect as well as I thought he would pl- had played. There were some encouraging trends and and um, positives as he improved and moved forward during the season. I like this guy quite a bit, Wendell Carter Jr. I think that he is a very, very underrated defender in the NBA. He's somewhat of an underrated fantasy guy. He was 87th in category leagues, 85th in points leagues, 100th in the minus one rank. His ADP was 75. So he's not that far off it. A little bit behind, but not far off it. He's 24. He played only 57 games, and that's part of the problem. Is he had that plantar, plantar fascia issue early in the season, and I feel like it hampered him a lot of this, a lot of the year. And you'll see when we get to the graph, the big gaps from missing for that foot injury. So he only played 30 minutes, 57 games, and 20 usage, but averaged 15 and 9, 1.4 threes on 35 percent, 2.3 assists, 0.6 blocks. That's that's probably the thing holding him back there. He did average, I think, a block a game as a rookie in Chicago, and they've gone down ever since. He can, in the absolute 99th percentile outcome for Wendell Carter, average 17, 9, 4, 0.8 steals, 1.3 blocks on really strong percentages. That's the overall best outcome, top 30 player. It's not likely to get there. That's why it's 99th percent outcome. But I've seen enough in little bits that it can all be put together at some point. My problem, again, with him is going to be the injury. But it's also going to be, can he push more than 30 minutes a night? I think that average there at 30 is held back by the injuries. And just get some of those defensive numbers back. EPM loved him. I, I'm, I'm shocked at how much it loved him. Plus 1.5, 84th percentile. Plus 5.1 wins, 81st percentile. Darko got him as a positive, top 150 player in the NBA. LeBron's got him 64th percentile. All the advanced metrics say, yeah, this guy's really good. And look at the improvement in his Darko just over the last two seasons since he escaped Jim Boylan in Chicago. Big improvements, continuing to improve, improved as the season went on. I do think there is still another level for Wendell Carter to go. But when you look at the games missed, look at that big gap there, start of the season. And that's the plantar fascia issue, which I think influenced a lot of what went, what, what the ups and downs were during the season. Just little gaps there for games missed and inconsistent performances. And I think that 
when we look at the overall outcome from Carter, when we look to next season, we might be, um, we might ignore that 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 happened and look at just the overall numbers and go, well, he was okay and he didn't live up to this sort of pick. And I think we might be able to get about a bit of value on him. Now, if they do like him to pick number one and they get Victor Wembenyama, I don't know how that all fits together. Wembenyama, Bunkero, Wagner, Carter, someone's moving on. And I think this team in general needs some sort of consolidation trades. So he's not, he's absolutely not, well, we've got our center started, uh, sorted. So um, you don't, you know, we're going to pass on Vic or anything like that. I, I don't think that's the key. And the same goes for Fultz. If they get screwed, like what the hell happens there? That that leads to some more concerns as well. This team just has a bunch of interesting guys, but they really need to get things sort of consolidated in to give the right positions and right roles. And Carter's great for this team at the moment. And there is more upside there, but there are there are some concerns. Thought again, look, he has that big gap in the middle there with some uh, with some injuries, but really started to put together some very, very impactful performances towards the end of the season. And that's why I do think there is another another level for Wendell to go. Let's go to Franz Wagner. A really interesting season for Franz. Played 80 games, so his total ranks are going to be through the roof. He was 89th in category leagues, but 47th in totals. 90th in points leagues, but 49th in totals. He had an ADP of 74. So if you drafted him at 74 and he was per game 89th and totals 50th, did you win or lose? Say it's not a bad, not a bad plea. But there are plenty of times where I had to push back against people. Go, I don't think I can hold on to Franz Wagner. I'm going to drop him at different times during the season. And if you look at that darker graph, you can tell exactly when that is. This is big, big drop in production. Now he was dealing with some thumb issues and some ankle problems, and that definitely impacted him. The shooting just completely disappeared. But then it stepped back up. He's only 21, 80 games, 33 minutes, 23 usage, 19, four and three and a half a steal. What's the next step for France? 49% shooting, 36, 84, unbelievable efficiency. What's the next? Where does he go in year three? Some of this, again, is going to be influenced by what happens in the draft. They go to pick three. Do they take Brandon Miller? Because him, Franz, and Paolo, how do you fit all them together? Now, there were portions of this season earlier in the year when every guard was out and Franz was playing like the two or the one at times. And that's when they lost all their games. Not saying that Franz is bad, but he couldn't really... They couldn't really do that and do that as a consistent thing. So you wouldn't think Wagner, Miller, Bunkero are going to play the majority of their minutes two, three, four, if that's what ends up happening. And even if they get a Cam Whitmore, like where does all that fit? There's just a lot of these guys that need to work out where they're going to play them and what their roles are. Franz was by far their best player from an a advanced metric number. 10.7 estimated wins. That's 95th percentile on the NBA. 3.1 EPM. Darko had him at a neutral and LeBron had him at 63rd percentile. But those EPM numbers are unbelievably good. Like unbelievably good. He was key. But he's sort of just, for, especially for fantasy, average across the board. Like really, really average across the board. A little bit below average on his rebounds. A little bit below average on his blocks. A little bit above average on his points, but only 1.63s. Solid enough efficiency. Above average there for his free throws. But just average. So that 23 usage, is there room for that to push to 27? Looking at this team, I, I don't think so. I, I, I'm not ruling it out because I was impressed with what he did this season, but I'm not, I'm, I think he's going to be really good. I think he can have some top 50 seasons and he impressed me this season, but I'm just, where is the, where is the role? What is the role that enables him to get there? 
not much to look at that points league um, graph there, like a couple of missed games in the middle, but played basically all the way through until the end and was really strong, obviously. But again, I, I just, what what is the overall goal? What is the overall upside for what France is able to do? Where does he become the next guy? If they get pick two, pick one, he's the third more, most valuable um, draft equity player behind Bunkero and that guy. Can he be better than Polo? Yeah, I think he can be. Not ruling that out, but he just feels like a guy that is a really strong team player, but for our fantasy purposes, might not ever just take the balls, like that, take the game by the balls and step it up into that larger role because he just does a little bit of everything. And for dynasty valuations, that does lead to some overall upside concerns. You know, that EPM graph, you can see that big dip where the shooting just fell way away and then he was able to step it up and become more impactful towards the end of the season. Cole Anthony was a really interesting player. We know that he is a guy that can be very inconsistent with his shooting. That that happens all the time. He only played 26 minutes a night. He started you know, plenty of games as a rookie, but then they got Michael Fultz there and Anthony could just never really replace him, even though the shooting from Cole is a lot better. 121st in category leagues, 122nd in points leagues. He was drafted around 126. I think he was benefited a lot from a lot of early injuries. Then he got injured himself. He's only 23. He played 60 games, 26 minutes, 21 usage. 21 usage is really, really key, I think, because that's realizing a little bit what his role should be. 13 points, five rebounds, four assists, 36% from three, 45 overall. So overall, these are solid numbers. Defensively, the steals, that's that's a trouble. 0.6 is a low number. The low usage is him fitting into a better role. But again, it leads to this team just having so many different guys that where does he fit? He could be much better than this. He's going to be wildly inconsistent, but I give him huge credit for being able to realize what his role is and play it, honestly, not to perfection, but pretty close. His EPM was very strong, 60th percentile, 64th percentile in wins. Darko and LeBron, not bad. And he had that, you look at that, that DPM graph, big, big spike early in year two, and then it fell way off. And then he just continually just improving, improving, improving. I, I like him as a guy in this role. He's only 23, but... There are a lot of deficiencies in the shooting at times, the inconsistency. Defensively, that is probably, he probably is this player, which is still good, but you know, how many top 100 seasons do we get? I would guess not not a huge amount. Fantasy points, as I said, you missed the big chunk of the season at the start. That's the start of the chunk of the season where Fultz was out, Gary Harris was out, Cole Anthony was out, Jalen Suggs was out. So they were running. Well, Suggs was in for some of that now for some of it. So they're running weird lineups and that skewed a lot of players' early value. And then he came back and had some really interesting games. But you can see the blue line, which is his fantasy points and the red line is his minutes. The blue line goes all over the place. The minutes stay relatively consistent. And a lot of that is shooting stuff. He'll have eight points on 12 shots and then 20 shots on uh, twenty points on seven shots. Like that's what he did a lot. And it evened out to good numbers. But if you had him on your roster, you understood that you just never really knew what you were getting. EPM graph doesn't tell us a huge amount. Nice improvement at the end of the season there, but I don't think there's a huge amount to uh, to gather from that. Let's now talk about your Rookie of the Year. Have they even announced it? I don't even know if they've announced that award, but he is, I think, going to win the Rookie of the Year. That is Paulo Bunkero, the number one overall pick in the draft. 138th in category leagues. That's using the way that I like to do the rankings. I discount turnovers. So that's the difference between 138 and 214 turnovers. 124 totals. His points rank, 57th. That is a wild discrepancy. 
And the reason the discrepancy is there is big below average field goals at 40, under 43%, big below average free throws at under 74%. That accounts for like 60 or well, not 60, uh, 80 spots of ranking difference between category league and points league. It's big. It's a big difference. You drafted him a pick 75 in a points league. You love it. 44th on total is 57th in points leagues. Huge W. You pick him in a category league, you're probably a little bit disappointed in what he was able to bring because he hurt you so often. But if your team was structured correctly or he was on that team where you were punting field goals, if free throws or even punting free throws, they're both close to being equally negative. You got not bad numbers. 20 points, seven rebounds, almost four assists, 1.2 threes. He played 34 minutes, 27 usage. The defensive stats, which was a concern at Duke. And then early in the season, he put up some really big defensive numbers. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And they disappeared. That's where the problem lies, is the lack of defense and the poor shooting. But, you know, that question earlier from Zach, can you take a big step forward? 30% from three, if that becomes 34, then already that 43 overall from the field becomes 44, 45. If 74 from the line becomes 77, then we're already 40 spots ahead. And then we start to push towards him being a top 60 guy like the points league rank would recommend. If your percentage impact, and to be a neutral percentage field goal guy, you've got to be like 48.7. And to be a neutral free throw guy, you'll be 79. So he's a little bit away from that. But if you got to those and they're neutral, then he's a top 60 guy immediately just with every other number the same. And of course, improving your field goals and free throws and three-point percentage influence your scoring and that might give him 23 points already and he jumps even further up. It's a big step to get to average, but over three, four years, he can get to 46, 47, 77, 78, 34, 35 from three. Not that worried about it. Right? Not yet. Again, RJ Barrett looms. I'm not that worried about it yet. Negative EPM, negative 0.9, plus 3.4 wins. They're okay numbers as a rookie. They're not, they're not Walker Kessel level impact numbers, but they're good. His Darko was pretty negative though. And that graph is not encouraging. He started out hyper impactful. And then as more was placed on him and the team kept winning, but his impact got worse and worse. I think he's better than the 346th player, but Darko is just not loving it. And LeBron didn't love it either. And there are there are levels of concern there. Um, his fantasy points graph, like he was relatively strong. Minutes were unbelievably consistent. He had a couple of bad games, but again, in a points league, I don't really think you'd be complaining about Paolo. And if you look at his EPM graph there, again, started off well, missed some games, came back, played well. And he, he had, I can't remember, there was a hand injury. I can't remember his actual injury that he had. That's usually I remember those. Um, but as you see, as the season wears on, big, big decline, and then did pick it up towards the end. Just got to get a little bit more consistency, a little bit more efficiency. The framework is there. It's very clearly there. And I am... People in category leagues, I think in a dynasty league, there'll be some wavering about what his value is. I still think that this is a top 40, probably at worst peak player with best case scenario. Best case scenario is Blake Griffin as a you know, top 15 guy when Blake was peak Blake. Top 20. I think I think that's best case peak in four or five years for Pablo. So I'm pretty, very interested in, is this a buy-low opportunity for him? I'm not sure. Actually, I'm going to research that. I'm going to have a look at, see if there's any updated NBA Dynasty ADP data. There's not. It's only from October, and he was going at like 22 there. I know Matt Lawson's got him around mid-20s uh, for his Dynasty rankings, and I think that's, that's not really, if anyone's valuing it off that, that's not really a bargain. 
but I still think that there is some pretty significant upside stuff coming here for Paulo as we move forward. Let's talk about Bol Bol, who I was very skeptical of this season. Heading into the season, I thought he's not going to play. He's not going to be in the rotation. I don't see a spot. And then everyone got hurt. Fultz, Harris, Cole, Suggs, Paolo at one point. So Ball played a big role and people loved it. He was putting up huge numbers and I was very skeptical of it. He had improved out of sight. He was unplayable a lot of the time. But when he came in, and a lot of what I do is I've got no problem with taking flyers on guys as stream players as they're running hot, but understanding how it tries to, what happens in a month, what happens in six weeks. And my thing with him was, always was, there are seven rotation players out here. How is he getting minutes over Paulo, Franz, Wendell? Um, and was another player, we'll, like this we'll talk about later, like Harris, Suggs, Fultz, Cole, whoever. How is he getting enough minutes? And then he was also blocking shots at a rate that was unsustainable. He was shooting at a rate that was unsustainable. And my thing was, great, try it. I'm just not buying it long-term. He's not the first coming of Victor Wembenyama. He's not the answer to every question. He All of his advanced numbers, even when he was putting up these big counting sets, were horrible. Defensively, he was getting cooked. He put up some okay numbers in a disastrous injury situation. And I think that's what I try and look through. Is any of this stuff sustainable? Does it make any sense for him to have this role as we move forward? And at the end of the season, they just took him out of the rotation. He just didn't play. He got pushed way back down and just didn't play. And... Yeah, should have sold high, yeah. But overall, his impact was strong because he was great early on. He was unbelievable. 156th ranked player overall, 183rd in points. He was he had an ADP. He didn't have an ADP in the preseason, but he had a number on Yahoo of drafted in 10% of leagues because they also count the stats of leagues that start after the season begins. So he didn't have an ADP, but he was drafted in 10% of leagues because of drafts that happened after the season started. He's only 23 still. He's barely played NBA games. 70 games, 22 minutes, 17 usage. He averaged 9.6 rebounds, 1.2 blocks, 0.43s. There's a lot to like about the fantasy skill set. In like 21 minutes, 1.2 blocks, he the blocks did drop off as the season went on and his scoring and his usage and all sort of stuff dropped off. He didn't shoot well 27%, but he did shoot well from two. He sort of changed his game from being more of an outside guy to an inside guy. 55%, 76 from the line. They're okay, they're okay numbers. But when he was out there, they got cooked. His Darko, or sorry, his EPM, really bad. Negative 3.1, that's 29th percentile. He was a negative estimated wins play. He took wins away being out there, 18th percentile. Negative in Darko, negative in LeBron. And you see here that little spike early in the season where some of his Darko stuff was good, and then it just went back to being the same old bold ball. And I don't really, again, he's not playing over France, he's not playing over Paolo. Not playing over Wendell. He didn't play over Mo. He didn't play over Goga at the end of the season. If Isaac actually is healthy, does he play over him? I don't know where he fits. I don't know where he fits on this team. It was great seeing him. People love watching him. People love watching players who are super tall, do weird things. And he was weird at doing a lot of things. And it was great to watch for that little period of time. But it didn't lead to any sort of winning or impactful basketball at all. And I am not big on him as a player, as you're well aware. So... While it was encouraging, I don't look at it and say, this is, you know, it's just a step and next season it's going to be better. You might have different views on that and that's fine. We all have different opinions on how we value players. But I think my overall take on bowl this season was correct. 
Whether that is going to be correct moving forward, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't really view him as any sort of future starter. And this 22 minutes a night that he played might end up being a career high. That's how I'd be worried about him. Fantasy points, you see that early on, big, big stuff. And then as players came back, minutes, value, production, all sunk, and then he eventually got kicked out of the rotation. It's really quite a bad sign as, as they got better, he played less. Or as he played less, they got better. Are they correlated? Maybe. But even, even when he was playing well, and this is part of what I was looking at, the advanced stuff hated what he was doing. He was putting up big numbers in this November, December period, gigantic negatives, just huge negatives. And that's when he was getting all this opportunity because they would cook him defensively. He would be really bad on that end and it just didn't, and his level, what he was doing offensively didn't make up for it. And blocking jumpers and getting out to three-point shooters and blocking shots, it's great for a highlight, but it wasn't positive. And overall, while it was a big improvement from Bowl, who was literally not even an NBA rotation player, he couldn't even get healthy or, or get into games and you know had a trade voided because of a physical and then was you know, went to Boston and never played a game and a whole bunch of stuff happened. To get into being viable on the court at times for short periods, this is not, as Paolo would say, we don't need Victor Wembanyama. We've got Victor Wembanyama. There's nowhere near that, in my opinion. I don't think that's going to happen. Let's talk about this guy. Now, Jalen Suggs, I was pretty I was pretty good high on him as a draft prospect. And so far, that's been proven wrong. He was a solid enough shooter. was a pretty good shooter at Gonzaga, actually. And I did like him for his defensive ability. And that is 100% carried over. He's been very, very good defensively. He cannot shoot and he cannot stop hurting his ankles. And they are two real problems. 178th in category leagues. He was ADP 139, again, because we saw Fultz was out, so he'd have an opportunity. And then even early in the season, when they had a lot of guys out, he was putting up some good numbers. But as players came back, his lack of shooting, his own injuries, they cost him. And I don't really know where he goes from here. 176th in points leagues. He's 20, not 22, he's about to turn 22. 53 games, 24 minutes, 20% usually. Like 24 minutes as a number five overall pick in year two when your competitors are Anthony and Fultz and Gary Harris is a little bit of a red flag, I think. He averaged 10 points with one three, three rebounds, three assists, 1.3 steals, half a block. Like in 24 minutes, 1.3 steals and half a block is pretty good as a point guard. Three assists, probably one a little bit higher. But he shot 33% from three, 42 overall. Some of that goes, oh, well, that means he can't hit any twos either or finish at the rim. And, and there, are, there, are, there are some concerns with that. 72 from the line, just overall negatives. Now, EPM, liked him. 68th percentile. LeBron and Darko, not so much. But his Darko progression gives me a level of hope. Struggled as a rookie as nearly all guards do. And then improved as the season went on. Still not hitting the level that he should. And the lack of minutes and the lack of shooting are, are a concern. But improved. Is he ever going to be a starter? He needs to be. He's got the size. He's got the defensive ability to start next to Markel Fultz. But I have no faith that he is a good enough shooter to be plugged into that position. And if I'm the Magic, as much as I like Suggs, I would absolutely be looking to upgrade. Because I don't think, despite that thing back at the start of the show, when we talked about the lineup information and Fultz and Suggs together was a plus 18.5, I don't think that's a viable combination as we move forward. Someone's got to be chosen, whether it's Suggs or Fultz, I don't know. But I don't think you can play them together with Franz and Paolo moving forward. So he's an interesting one 
because some encouraging signs. But if he's ever going to break out, I don't think it's on this team. He needs to be in a situation that Fultz is in on this team where he's surrounded by other guys that can shoot. Maybe even like a De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. Obviously, very, very different players. But Fox just having the ball a lot with a bunch of shooters around him helps open up things for him. And I think maybe that's what Suggs needs. Some good numbers early in the season. Then he got injured and then really couldn't find consistency and the blue line just up and down, wildly inconsistent on a game-by-game basis. I'm not writing him off. He's only two years in. He's he's 22. And he showed a defensive level that players this age don't really show. But there are concerns for me that you you don't... He's not getting gifted minutes anymore. Nothing really to tell from the EPM graph, I don't think. Let's go to Franz's brother, Mo Wagner, who didn't really know what to expect from Mo Wagner this season, but he established himself for stretches of being a solid player. Play, took the role off Mo Bamba, and they traded away Mo Bamba. Started games when Wendell was out. Did lose the backup spot down the end to Goga, whether that was just to see what Goga could do or whether they believed Goga was better, I don't know. But I thought Mo was solid enough. 183rd in category leagues, 213 points. He wasn't drafted, obviously, but he's already 26. That's, that's, that's something to note. 57 games, 20 minutes. He averaged 10 points with a three, four and a half rebounds, 0.6 steals, like bad defensive numbers, 0.6 steals, 0.2 blocks. Okay, efficiency, 50 and 84. Pretty strong um, advanced numbers across all metrics. He's Darko. You see it improve as the season goes on. I just thought he established himself as, okay, I can feel okay about you in a rotation. And that's, I don't know what more you want from a backup center. Is there any future big upside for him? I don't think so. But one of those guys that if you see, oh, he's going to be starting for the next two weeks, Drew Eubank style, let me go and add him. I think that's... Despite, you know, is it because they're both white? Probably. But that's maybe the sort of play we look at. Eubanks and, and Wagner, solid backups. Who, If they start, you're interested, but you're not going to rely upon them at all. I think that's sort of where we are. But he impressed, for sure, this season. He impressed. Let's look at uh, Gary Harris. Oh, no! That's the wrong button. Nice, Gary! That's a better button. Harris, was the 220th. 262nd in points leagues. He's 29. He's got that $13 million non-guaranteed deal next season. He's only played 48 games. Hamstrings, always a problem for him. 25 minutes, 12% usage. And that 12% usage, and we contrast this to look at his advanced numbers, where he's 73rd percentile EPM, 122nd in Darko. Some really strong stuff. And that Darko graph is wild. Look at that huge dip where I thought this guy's cooked, he's done. And then sort of resurrected himself in Orlando to become a really positive player again. He just said, this is my role. I don't need the ball. I will defend and I will shoot threes. 43% from three, two threes a game, but only eight points. He never took any shot really that wasn't a three. Hit his free throws. And that is the perfect player, I think, for a good team. Now, whether they waive him or not, or they trade him away to clear up some cap space to a team that gets that for one year. But a guy that doesn't demand the ball will defend capably. The way that Otto Porter played for the um, Warriors last season, obviously Porter's injury problems are still concerned now, but Harris has got himself back on track as a valuable role player. And that, I'm not sure how valuable it is to this team. Although, yeah, he was still really strong in that starting lineup at times, although their best lineup had Suggs in it. That value is... Is it this team? I think is going to make a push for the playoffs. Is he useful enough on this team, or can they get more back by consolidating or moving on 
opening up stuff for Suggs and Anthony or another guard that they get, Armin Thompson or Sir Thompson or um, Scoot Henderson or whatever they get in the draft, I, I think I find it pretty unlikely that Gaz will remain on this team. Like every one of their guards, he was injured at the start of the season, opening up those minutes for Bowl, of course. And look, he's just not a fantasy points guy. Look how low the, the blue line is versus the red line, which is fantasy points, the blue and minutes red. Just doesn't produce him. He never is. But as a valuable on-court piece, he provides some value. Thought he was solid enough for this team most of the season. Did what he needed to do in a year, which was, I think, a pretty good audition for another team to just have a crack and see what he can produce. Um, let's talk about Lord Voldemort. For all of the talk about Jonathan Isaac this season, for all of the Twitter posts, for all of the comments on my videos, for all of the Reddit posts saying how wrong I am or you know, how bad it is and how, yeah, it's great taking a chance on him. Um, he played 11 games. I, I could not believe this. When I went back to look at it, I thought for sure he must have played 30 games at least. We, there was that much chatter about this bloke. And you know the reason that I banned saying his name on the show is because we'd waited three years for a recovery from a 12-month injury and no one would tell us anything. So I'm just not going to say this guy's name until we get actual information about what is going on. And they never provided it. That's why I didn't say his name. Not because I hate the bloke or nothing like that. It's because there's no point me just continuing to say this stuff with no information when I have I got nothing to give and none of it makes sense. So, but he came back in January. What, 900 days or whatever it was since he got injured? And maybe it wasn't 900. But played 11 games, sat games in between, was on a ramp-up period, and then hurt his groin and had season-ending groin surgery. 269th in category leagues, 271st in points. People drafted him. I can't believe this. He was drafted in 10% of leagues, 9% of leagues, 141st. Made no sense. He's only 25. 11 games, 11 minutes, 21 usage. He averaged five points with four rebounds, 1.3 steals. Now, 1.3 steals in 11 minutes is insane. It's such a high number. He also shot 40% from three. I don't buy any of that when he played like 120 minutes total for the season. Because if I'm going to buy that, then I'm going to buy that he's a 55% shooter from the free throw line. If I'm going to buy that, I'll buy that you know, his ability to block shots has disappeared because he averaged 0.4. Which 0.4 in 11 minutes is not that good. It's okay, but it's not that good. Not what he was doing in the past. So it's really hard to judge a lot of what he did this season. He showed some flashes. Defensively, I thought he was okay. They did feed a lot more into him usage-wise than he probably should have. And some of that is... Um, you know, the role that he played coming off the bench, the low minutes, and also just get some touches, man. You haven't played for forever. The advanced stuff, I don't know really how to judge this. Darko really likes him, and you can see that Darko graph pushing up and up and up. I, I just, you have to have worry about his body and holding up for a season. Like, look at this. This is since he played August 2020. He still didn't play. Played these 11 games and was done. Had a couple of good games. And again, my thing goes back. Do you play him over Franz? Do you play him over Wendell? Do you play him over Paolo? Do you even play him over Mo Wagner? Do you play him over maybe an incoming Victor Wembanyama, Cam Whitmore, Brandon Miller? I don't think so. I, I don't know where we go with this. I, you know, they, they're, they can save a ton of money by cutting him or trading him away. And I think they should. I don't, I just, there's just too many injuries on this guy's body. I think, to have any sort of value moving forward. 
I'd love to be proven wrong because I don't want people's careers to be cut short by by injury. But realistically, like it's going to require a lot for me to buy back in on John Isaac. A lot. Um, yeah, look, his EPM graph just shows us like he's never played, right? Some positive impact games, for sure, in those low minutes. But it, I don't know how much that tells us. The last player we are going to talk about here is Gogo Badadze. Problem with my Gogo Mobile. Gogo Mobile. No, not the da. Not the da. Yeah. Waved by Orlando. Oh, sorry, by Indiana. Signed by the Magic. Played all right down the stretch. He's a guy that I did like in the draft. And never really got an opportunity. My thing with him was, okay, if you are investing him in dynasty leagues, the situation in Indiana is not for him. It's going to take another team or you know, four years down the track to get it to get into a role. I still don't think we're there for him and you know, probably was too high on him at that point. But he flashed a little bit. He's still not 24. He played 38 games, 12 minutes, 15 usage, four points, four rebounds, 0.7 blocks, 55, 23, and 55 are some weird percentages. Impact-wise, pretty good. Plus 1.25 LeBron, 199th in Darko, 60th percentile EPM. And you can see that that Darko graph, like a bit of improvement as the season went on. And then if we look at his fantasy points graph, like he just barely played. Eventually got some rhythm towards the end and started to put up better numbers. Is he their choice of backup center over Mo Wagner? I would say probably not. But what he did was show me that at age 24, he can at least be a decent enough rotation center or you know, third string center that maybe you eke a couple more years out of him. Do I think there's a future starter in him anymore? I don't know. But I think that it shows that like if we go to his EPM graph, all those blue dots are games that he didn't play, not all through injury. I think that he, you know, he showed that he's better than missing those many games for DMPs and looking for viable backup center minutes. He might be just a guy to look at. Fantasy-wise, he was okay at, in stretches, and if you pushed into a starting role, you'd be okay with what he does. But from a guy that was sort of almost on his way out of the league and an afterthought, I thought he impressed down the stretch for this team enough that I'm not going to take him completely out of my consideration. I'm not going to talk about a few other players on this team that yeah, that are on the team, like Chumura KK, much like Isaac. I, I don't really know where he goes from here. Again, another knee surgery, 27 games, can't shoot, didn't play too many guys in front of him. They played a lot of Kavon Harris early in the season. They played Caleb Houston, who flashed a little bit. He's marginally interesting, a second-year player, or coming to be a second-year player, but part of his problem at Michigan was not being able to shoot. He shot 43% on twos this season. 34 from threes, all right. But at least he's got the good size of a wing. I don't really think there's a future starter upside there. But out of like a Kavon Harris, Admiral Schofield, Caleb Houston, and Chumura KK, I'm very much more interested in Caleb. He is 20. There were some flashes. And he'd be a guy that I'd be in a very, very deep dynasty, at least putting some feelers out on. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you are here on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.